You want to make a difference? You want to make a difference in your life? You know what? I believe you do. In fact, I believe that God has created in every human being the innate desire to make a difference while they were here on earth. You want your life to have mattered when it is over. You want to be remembered when it was over that you did something that made a difference. But you know what? It's not just about when life is over. We want to make a difference right now. We want people to, to, we want to matter to what people do in their lives and the way they live their lives. We want to encourage people. We want to help people. We want to somehow make a difference. And you know, the fact of the matter is, God put that desire in you. Now, who can really make a difference? That's the problem. We may have the desire, but can we make a difference? Can you make a difference? Can I make a difference? Who can make a difference? When can we make a difference? You know, sometimes we, I've met people that are spending their whole life waiting for a moment when they can make a difference. I've heard people tell me, man, I know that God's got something for me. I know that there's, there's one reason that I'm here on earth and I, I'm just waiting for it to happen. And they wait and they wait and they wait and they're just like waiting for some lightning bolt to hit them in that moment that they're going to make a difference. And they waste a lifetime waiting for the opportunity to make a difference. When can you make a difference? The big question is how. How can you really make a difference? I want you to open your Bibles with me, or if you've got it on your phone, open your app to 1 Timothy in chapter 4. 1 Timothy in chapter 4. First and 2 Timothy have always been special books to me, probably because God called me to preach when I was 10 years old. I preached my first sermon when I was 12 and began to preach throughout my teenage years by the time I was 15 or 16, I was preaching every Sunday, sometimes in three different towns on a Sunday. And then I, uh, through that time, I realized, hey, Timothy was a young man and I'm a young person. And so there's things I can learn from this book. And so I spent a lot of time reading in First and Second Timothy. And one of the things that God captured my attention with when I was a teenager was this passage that we are going to look at today. And this passage is about how you can make a difference. And guess what? You can make a difference right now. Did you know that? You can make a difference right now. For all of our students that are here right now and you are in college, you know that at NEBC, we're training you to have the mind of a scholar, the heart of a shepherd, and the perseverance of a soldier. But we're not training you only for the future. We tell you, do it now. Get involved now. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, if He's called you to be a pastor, we want you to get pastoral experience by working alongside a pastor. If He's called you to be, if He's called you to be a counselor, we want you to get experience by working with counselors. If He's called you to be a business leader, we want you to get experience in business now. We want you to not wait, but make a difference beginning right now. And those of you that are here that are considering what is it that God has for me? Is God calling me to come to Northeastern Baptist College? Listen, I want you to know that whatever God's calling you to do, I know this, He is calling you to make a difference now. I want you to look at this passage with me, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 4. Let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attention 
to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. In this short paragraph, there are two primary things and then some secondary things that we learn. The first one is this. He tells you that you can make a difference now, no matter what age you are. If you are young or if you are old, you can make a difference right now. Second thing he wants you to do is understand how you can make a difference. And so we're going to look at both of those. And the first one we see in the very first phrase of this paragraph let no one despise your youth. In other words, let no one look down upon you because you are young. And you know, I remember when, when I was first called to preach at 10 years old, I didn't even want to tell anybody because I was like, God, ain't nobody going to believe me. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to make fun of me. But the Lord just wouldn't let me go until I actually told a visiting preacher at our church, and then he made me stand up before 300 people and tell all of them. And I just knew they were going to laugh, but they didn't. They encouraged me. And then two years later, when another preacher came to me and said, I want you to preach at our church. And I said, do you realize I'm 12 years old? And he said, yes. And he, he said, but listen, didn't God call you to preach a couple years ago? And I said, well, yes, he did. But, but I figure I'll make a difference after I graduate high school. And he said, listen, Mark, if God's called you, he wants you to start making a difference now. And I remember coming to this passage and I thought, man, there's all these people that are older than me and they're wiser than me and they've been around longer than me and they've walked with God longer than me. How in the world can a 12-year-old take the Word of God and stand up and teach something? Because, folks, the authority is not in the person, it's in the Word. It's God's Word that makes a difference. And so the Lord began to teach me, do not let people look down upon you because of your youth, because you're young. Folks, the reality is, is God wants to use you right now, wherever you are, if you're 12 years old or if you're 100 years old. The fact of the matter is, is God's Word shows us many people that He used that were either very young or very old. And we all know He used people in between. But I want you to think with me just for a minute through several examples in the Word of God. We have Timothy here who was a youth. He said, don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young. We also have Jeremiah in the Old Testament who when God came to him and said, hey, I, before you were born, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you, I sanctified you, I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah said, oh God, I cannot speak. I am just a youth. And God did not take his excuse. God said, listen, you're going to go to all that I send you and everything I command you, you are going to speak. Don't say, I am just a youth. But we can go even further back than that. We can go all the way to Samuel. Who Samuel is, he was serving the high priest, Eli. And as he is there and in the middle of the night, God calls him in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel, Samuel, and he thinks it's Eli. He gets up and runs into Eli. Eli, well, what do you want? And he says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed, boy. It's late. Well, that's not an exact translation, all right? 
But he goes back to his bed and he hears Samuel, Samuel, and he gets up and runs into Eli. Eli, here I am. And he says, son, I, I didn't do this. And he, third time, he, Samuel, Samuel, he runs back in. And Eli says, listen, God must be talking to you. It's not me. So next time you say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And so he goes back and says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And God gives him a word. And by the end of the chapter, all of Israel knows that even as a young boy, that the word of God is with him. And that he was to be a prophet in the nation of Israel. But folks, it's not just young. So all of our, all of our college students, you're not too young to be used by God. All of our visitors today, you're not too young to be used by God. But I want to remind you that God also uses people throughout life and even in their old age. I think about Moses. He was 80 years old when God used him to deliver the nation of Israel. I think about Caleb who was 85 when he took on the mountain that had all the giants in it. I think about Abraham who didn't have the son that God had promised until he was 100 years old. You see, the fact of the matter is, is wherever you are in life, however young or however old you are, God wants to use you to make a difference and you can make a difference now. Right now. Today. You can make a difference. But secondly, how do we do that? I tell you, you can do it. That's who. I tell you how or when you can do it right now. But I also want you to understand how you can make a difference. And in the balance of this paragraph, that's exactly what Paul wrote to Timothy. And he said, Timothy, this is how you will make a difference. He had left Timothy in Ephesus to set some things in order while Paul was continuing on his missionary journey. And he's writing to Timothy and he says, Timothy, I know you're young. I know you're just a youth, but don't let anybody look down upon you. Remember, do it now. Serve God now. And Timothy, now I'm going to tell you how you can make a difference. And there are three things that he teaches us in this text. And I want you to see them all three. If you want to know how to make a difference, this is it. You can make a difference now by your illustration. So by my illustration, what in the world are you talking about? Isn't that something that people, that preachers use all the time? You know, you come up with these illustrations or maybe you buy an illustrations book and you tell the one that everybody else has told a thousand times. Or, or, or you, you have some kind of illustration that is an object lesson that people can see. Isn't that what you're talking about? No. He says that you are the illustration. Look with me in the text. He says, do let no one despise your youth, but in contrast to that, be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and in purity. He says, listen, I want you to be an example. Literally, the, the Greek word here is, is typos. We get our word type from it, but it is a pattern to follow. You are to be the illustration. By your life, by the way you live. Listen, you do not have to be 30 years old to be an illustration. You don't have to be 40 or 50 or 80 like Moses was. You can be the illustration right now, whatever age you are. Samuel was an illustration by his life when he was just a child. Jeremiah began being an illustration by his life when he was a youth. Timothy began when he was a youth. 
And the fact is, as he says, listen, you be the example. Now, all of the time, when we think in the Christian circles, we think of, of the older people as being our example, our illustration. That's how you want to live. In fact, I, I look for that. In fact, many times in my life, I've taken my son, Ben, here, and I say, you see the way that man lives? That's the way you should live. You see the way that lady prays? That's the way you should pray. And, and I, I use other people as an illustration, as an example, as I, as I bring my son up in the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, Paul is turning that here, and he's telling Timothy, listen, Timothy, I know there are people in Ephesus much older than you. I know there are people in Ephesus that that probably have more wisdom of life than you. But you can be the illustration. You can be the type. You can be the one who sets the pattern. You can be the example. And notice what he says. He gives him six areas that he should be the example. You should be the example in word, in your speech. And also, by the way, as Lagos has to do with Thinking clearly and communicating clearly is what he has to do here. So listen, the, the way you talk as a youth should be an example to the adults. It should be an example to other people. I tell you what, I have had a lot of youth through, my, through the years that have set the example for an entire church by the way they live their lives. And that's exactly what he is saying right here. Be an example in your word, but also in your conduct, the way you are living day in and day out. See, your conduct as a youth, listen to me, youth, I want to challenge you. Be different than what the world says teenagers and college students are. The world says this is what teenagers and college students do, and this is the way they act, and this is the way they behave. Do not do that. Be an example to the adults so that they look and say, wow, if, if a 16-year-old can live that way, if an 18-year-old can live that way, if a 24-year-old can live that way, then certainly there's something missing in my life and I need to get right with God. Listen, you set the example. I want to tell you something. Not only in the scriptures do we see God using young people to turn a nation. We think about, about people in the Old Testament. We think about kings that were eight years old that turned the tide in the nation of Israel. We think about Samuel. We think about these other examples. But listen, I want to tell you today that throughout church history, over and over and over again, when God turned a nation, when God changed the world, He did it through young people who got serious about obeying God to the point that they were setting the illustration. They were setting the example in what they said, and they were saying in the example in what they did. Be an example, not only in word, but also in uh, your conduct, in the way you live, and in love. And this is the word, agapeo. It's an unconditional kind of love that does what is best for someone. It's a benevolent love. doesn't necessarily do what everybody wants, but it does what is best for someone. He says, be an example in that. He says, be an example in your spirit. When other people look at you, they ought to say, there is a righteous spirit in that person because they have submitted themselves to the Holy Spirit who is producing fruit in their life. Be an example in faith. Listen, you ought to be the biggest example in faith in this entire region 
or wherever it is you live. The people in your church ought to look at you as a youth person, as a young person, and say, wow, look at that person's faith. Look at the way they just trust God and obey Him no matter what. That is the example that He calls you to set. And then He says in purity. Be an example in purity, in moral purity. Now listen, we've got messed up in our nation. Somehow we think that it is okay for teenagers and college students to act however they want to and live in impure life, impure morals in every way, not just sexually, but in every issue of morality. They can do all that as long as they come back when they're 24, 25, or 30. Folks, that is absolutely contrary to the Word of God. I want you to understand that my generation messed up a bunch. And right now, we need this generation. We need the teenagers right now. We need the early 20s right now. We need you to stand up and be an example in purity. So much of an example that it brings conviction from the older adults who look at your life. And that's exactly what he says. And listen, if you'll do that, you'll make a difference right now. You'll make a difference right now. You can make a difference. And you can do it today by being an illustration. By being an example. Several years ago, I was living in Virginia and I had a sister and her son come to visit Cindy and Ben, or Cindy and I, Ben wasn't born yet, Cindy and I, and they spent a few days with us, and we were about two hours from Washington, D.C., and so we kept telling them, while you're here, we're going to take you to Washington, D.C. for a few days, and, and then so we were going to do that on a Thursday and Friday, and on Wednesday night at our church, I was teaching the church, I was pastoring then about sharing their faith, and we were learning different ways to share our faith, and that particular Wednesday night, we were on a section where I was teaching them about how to use tracks effectively, how to pick the right kind of track, and then how to use it effectively to share the gospel. And we had a bunch of tracks there, and, 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 and we hand them out to people, and then we had more if they wanted to take more. And at the end of the service, that all happened. And after the service, we went back to, to where we lived, which was right next door to the church. The church, uh, church provided a house next door for us. And we went back to that house, and we're sitting there, and everybody's excited about the next day going to Washington, D.C. And, and my nephew had saved up quite a stash of money. He'd been saving all year to go to Washington, D.C. and buy everything he wanted to remind him of Washington, D.C. And he had saved up this money, and he was in bed, and me and, and his mother and, and Cindy were sitting in the living room talking, and he comes in. And he has this extremely serious look on his face. And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out this wad of money that he had been saving for a long time. And he says, Uncle Mark, how much do those tracks cost? And I said, well, you know, they're pretty cheap. They're a few cents a piece. And he says, I want you to give me all that this will buy. And he stuck it in my hands. And I said, what is this? And he said, I've been saving this money for this trip to spend in Washington, D.C. all year long. But tonight, when you were teaching, God convicted me. Now listen, he was about 10 years old. 
You say, God convicted me that I shouldn't be wasting this money on me because there are people dying and going to hell. And I want all the tracks I can buy with this money so that while we're in D.C. the next two days, I can give them to everybody I see. Well, of course, I was humbled that my nephew would do that. And I went and got all the tracks I could find, <laughs> literally all of them. And I, I called somebody that uh, next morning said, order us a bunch more tracks because we're out. And uh, I got, gathered them all and I gave them to him. And uh, then I gave him his money back. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, you're not going to pay for those. And he said, no, I must. I got to pay for them. Because that's, that, that I, I, it's, my, it's my responsibility to get the gospel to everybody I possibly can. Listen, you know what that did for that church? Every adult in that church heard that story. Because everybody wanted, I mean, I was getting the calls. Why, why, why do we have to buy new tracks? Why are we out of tracks? What's going on? I mean, we, you had a bunch there last night. What, what happened? Somebody steal them? And, and within 24 hours, everybody in that community knew what this young man had done. He set the example. He was the illustration. And in every area that Paul mentions here, you can set the example now. And if you will do so, guess what? You will make a difference today. But this passage not only gives us the first way, he says that you can make a difference by your illustration, your life, the way you live your life. But secondly, you can make a, a difference by your instruction. Look what he says in the next verse, in verse 13, till I come, and so Paul's going to come back to Ephesus, so till I come, give attention, that means focus on doing this, give attention to reading to exhortation, and to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Now, this is important to understand what he's telling him here. He's saying, listen, I want you to make it a difference by the way you live, by illustrating your life becoming the illustration, but that is not enough. You can't just be, live the right kind of life. People need to hear the truth. It is often misquoted, because it's exactly not what he said, but people often say, hey, you know, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, you know, he said, he said uh, share the gospel at all times, and if you have to, use words. That's, first of all, it's not exactly the way he said it. But secondly, that, that is used to mean something that he didn't ever meant. You need to understand, no one can come to the Father without the hearing of the gospel. They must hear. You're living your life is an illustration by which you can make a difference, but you will never impact someone fully without speaking. And he says, listen, what you need to do is give your attention. Now, live in the illustration, but give your attention to instruction. And he tells us how to instruct here. He says specifically what we are to do. First of all, he says we are to give attention to reading. Some translations say to the public reading of the Word or of Scripture. Now, that's actually an interpretation from the, from the context. 
Because in the Greek language, it just says to the reading. Give attention to the reading. But certainly in this context, they, the translations who say of the reading of the word, that is true. And, and by the way, when you're in a Bible study group or you're reading scripture in, in church, man, it shouldn't be boring. Reading scripture should be exciting because it's the word of God. You need to pay attention to how you read scripture because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But then secondly, notice what else he says, not only by reading of Scripture, but also by encouraging in Scripture. That word exhortation is the same word that we have used in the, in the noun form to describe the Holy Spirit as the paraclete. This is parakaleo, or a different form of it exactly in this passage. <clears throat> but this is what it means. Come alongside others and put your arm around them and encourage them in their relationship with God encourage them. So this is more of a one-on-one, a, -on -one usually, of encouraging people. But then notice the next thing he says, and my doctrine. The word that is used here for doctrine is actually means the teaching of doctrine. So this is, he says, and teaching. So, so don't, don't neglect these things. Pay attention to them. Give attention to reading the word, to encouraging others, and through teaching the word. This is what you are to do. And you say, well, listen, man, I'm just, a, I'm just a kid. Well, tell me about it. Tell me about it. You know, I told you a while ago that I preached my first sermon when I was 12. What I didn't tell you is I had no help. Uh, the, the pastor asked me, and I finally said, okay. And I asked him, well, how do you prepare a message? And he says, I can't tell you that. I didn't call you to preach. God did. You just go get along with God and, his, and the Word. I asked another preacher. He told me the same thing. I said, I know, I'll go to one of my brothers. My, my bro well, I have a brother that was about 16 years older than me, and uh, he was already uh, serving as, a, as an associate pastor of a church. And so I, I went to see him, and I said, I said, Jim, how do I prepare a sermon? And he said the exact same thing. He said, I can't tell you that. I didn't call you to preach. God did. Go get your Bible. Go get alone with God, and, and He'll show you what to preach. And so it happened to be summertime, and this was, this was a Thursday night, and I was to preach Saturday night. So basically, I did nothing except for my paper route all day on Friday and Saturday, except sit in my room with my Bible, going back and forth from my desk to my knees, praying and studying God's Word, saying, God, I need to know what to, what to preach. God, show me what your Word means. Guide me in that. Now, years later, I got some training that helped me become a better preacher. And it's this school, if, if God's calling you into ministry, you will get that training that will help you with that. But I want you to understand that the issue is you read the Word, you encourage with the Word, and you teach the Word. That's what He's calling you to do. Even as a 12-year-old, I did. And you know what? I had no idea what I was doing, but looking back on it, in fact, many of you know Dr. Tim Christian. And one day he was in my office and he saw this green notebook and he walked over and picked it up and said, what's that? And I said, don't even look at that. And he said, what is it? And I said, that's my first sermon. And he said, what? And I said, yeah, I wrote it out word for word. And that's it. And he said, well, I want to read it. And I said, no, you can't read that. And he said, yes, yeah, so I'm going to read it. And he just said, you know, that's how Tim is sometimes. 
And so he just took it and sat down in my office and started reading it. And he got all done, and he looked at me, and he says, Mark, do you realize, have you looked at that? And I said, not really, not in a long time. And he said, Mark, you expounded the word, you illustrated the word, and you applied the word and gave an invitation. I had no idea what I was doing. But I went to God, and I went to his word, and I did what I knew to do. And you can do the same. Now, I want you to see one other thing he says about this instruction that you're to do. Not only are we to make a difference with our illustration, but with our instruction. And notice what he says about that in the next verse, in verse 14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Now, you need to understand everything that's going on in this verse. First of all, he says, don't neglect the gift that was given to you. By the way, Timothy was serving in Ephesus, and when Paul wrote Ephesus, he spoke about the fact that God gave gifts to men. Part of your salvation experience is that God gifted you. When you trusted Jesus as your Savior, a whole lot of things happened to you that you didn't know. And one of those is the Holy Spirit came to live in your life. And when He did, He brought a spiritual gift into your life to be used for His glory. And you may know what it is, you may not know what it is. I know people that have been using their gift for 30 years and didn't even know they had one. But it's obvious that that's how they were serving God was through the gift that they were given. And He says it was given by prophecy Listen, this is not that somebody came and, and spoke a prophecy about Timothy specifically, but it is prophesied in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would bring gifts and give gifts to people to serve God. And it's by prophecy. And you say, well, what's the deal with the laying on of hands? Well, that is the eldership recognizing in Timothy that, hey, he has this gift of the Holy Spirit to be a teacher and a preacher. And there are people with the gift of mercy showing that are great counselors. And there are people with the, with the gift of, of a prophet who can preach and teacher who can teach and exhortation who can encourage in a way others can't. And there are people with the gift of service and the gift of giving and there are all the spiritual gifts that the Bible teaches us about. And what he's saying to Timothy is, Timothy, you know what your gift is. It, it, it was given to you by the Lord. The word prophesied it was going to happen. You received it. And remember, Timothy, all the elders recognized that and they laid their hands on you and commended you with that. And so you use the gift. Listen, God has given you a gift. A gift that will allow you not only to be an illustration, but to instruct. Even, even a servant instructs. I've learned a whole lot of things from just talking to a servant that I might not have learned another way. And he says, listen, you do the instruction, do the encouragement, do the reading of the word, but do it in such a way that fits the gift that God has given you. And by the way, the gift of service is every bit as important as the gift of evangelist. Every gift is crucial. So find your gift. Don't neglect it. Use it. You can make a difference today. You can make a difference by your illustration. You can make a difference by your instruction. But finally in this text, he tells us you can make a difference 
by your intention. Now, I want you to notice what happens in verses 15 and 16. Look closely. I'm going to give you some words. If you underline in your Bible or you highlight in your Bible app, highlight these words. Meditate on these things. Meditate. Highlight that. Give yourself entirely to them. Give yourself. Highlight that. That your progress may be evident to all. Take heed. Highlight that. To yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. All of these words, and for time, I'm not going to go through and expound on every one of those words. But every one of these words is about this. It's about you being intentional to do the things that Paul is telling us. You know what? It is extremely rare for someone to make a difference by accident. And you say, oh, no, 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 I've seen on the news about this guy that was standing there at the street corner and, and, and you know, this, this child runs out and they're about to get hit by a truck and, and, and he, he was just in the right place at the right time and it was just kind of accidental, but he went and saved the child's life. Listen to me, how many other people were on that street corner that didn't? He was intentional. He was intentional, looking for the opportunity. Paul tells Timothy later to be instant in season and out of season. To always be ready. It was, it, it, there is intentionality. And when he says meditate on, this, on these things, this, this word actually, uh, uh, meliteo in the Greek language, had to think there for a second, uh, but in the Greek language it actually is about more than thinking. It is about thinking and practicing. It's about doing something about it. It is not a meditation that sits, sits there with your arms crossed and your legs crossed going, hmm. It is actually says, think about this and do something about it. He says, meditate on these things. What things? The, the things he just told him about being an illustration and being a, an instructor. He says, meditate on these things. He says, give yourself entirely to them. In other words, make this the passion of your life. Listen, if you want to make a difference, be intentional about making a difference. Give yourself completely to say, man, I am going to be an example to other people and I am going to teach the Word of God, whether it's from a pulpit, whether it's in a classroom or whether it's in a counseling room or whether it's as a business leader, I am going to make a difference. Through instructing the Word of God. But notice he doesn't just say give and meditate. He also says take heed to yourself. Guard yourself. And the doctrine, again, it's the same form of the word, teaching. So make sure you're, you're teaching right, but continue to guard yourself. What's he doing? He's going back to what he's already taught us. Guard your illustration and guard your instruction. Pay attention to it. And then finally, he says, continue in all things. Epimeno, for those of you studying Greek. Meno is not a small bait fish. Well, it is, but not in the Greek language. Meno means I remain. I'm going to keep at it. I'm staying with it. Epimeno is an intense form of that. It's saying to remain. Remain in them. Do it day in and day out. Do it when you feel like it and when you don't. 
Do it when it's easy and do it when it's hard. Do it when, when you can't do anything right. And, and I mean, where it seems like nothing is right and when it seems like everything is right. Continue in them. And by doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now hear this, save here, it, it's, it's sozo, but it has to do in this context He's talking about preserving what you have. Timothy was not going to save himself by his works, and neither is anybody else. We're saved by grace through faith alone. But we do preserve what God has given us by being faithful to what God has called us to do. And he says, by doing that, you will be preserved, but you will also save those who hear you. You will preserve those who hear you because you're not only being the illustration, you're instructing. And by being the illustration and instructing and doing it intentionally, it will make a difference. It was December 23rd of 2006. And I got a phone call. It was one of my brothers, Richard. And he said, Mark, there's been a tragedy. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, Bev, which is another brother's wife, was tragically killed by a shotgun. All of her family, all of her kids had come home to enjoy Christmas. And she was shot with a shotgun and was dead. It was a Saturday afternoon. The next day, we had a special service planned for Sunday morning and Sunday night for Christmas Eve. We had been building up for it. I've been preparing for this sermon for a long time. A lot of publication that went into it, and we were anticipating a, a pretty significant crowd at the church. Many of you know Mr. Ron Poitras, who at that time was my associate pastor. When I got off the phone, I called him, and he prayed with me, and we talked, and then he said, Mark, I know we've got all this stuff planned, but I can preach tomorrow if you want me to. And I sat there and thought for a second. And I was close to Jim and Bev. In fact, for a period of time, Jim and Bev had moved back in. They had three kids, and they moved back in to our home. And their kids were like brothers, little brothers and sisters to me because of them living in our home for that time. And I thought for a minute, and I remembered this passage, continue in them. I remembered 2 Timothy chapter 4. Be instant in season and out of season. When you feel like it and when you don't. When everything's going great and when it's not. And after a few minutes of silence, I said, Ron, if God's word isn't true now, it's not true at all. So I will preach what we have prepared for for tomorrow. And then tomorrow afternoon, I'll fly out. Could you handle the evening service? 
when he said, yeah. Listen, I tell you that not because it's something great that Mark did. It's not. All the way up until the moment I stood in the pulpit, I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know how the overwhelming grief I felt could be pushed aside. I had no understanding of how that could happen. But I knew what he called me to do. And I knew that if I could be the illustration in this moment, it would impact people's life for eternity. And so I called out to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I am weak. But your word tells me that in my weakness you are strong. Would you be strong for me? And he'll do the same for you. You can make a difference 